Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. You guys, I have a question. Why do some of us consider selling a dirty word? Huh? Ever been curious about that? Because here's the thing. We all all of us have something to sell, okay? Whether you're a startup trying to find funding or an entrepreneur trying to sell your product or you're a nonprofit that's trying to get support for your cause or you're just a person, just an individual that's trying to get a job, like all of that is selling. We have to sell ourselves, our products, our services, our causes all the time. So I don't understand why we have this vibe, this connotation when the word salesperson comes up. I don't understand because we all are salespeople at some time, at some point in our lives. And the better that we become at that, the better we become at selling ourselves, our products, our services, the better that we can do the thing or the things that we were put on this earth to do. So lucky for you, my guest today is John Livesey, and he's a salesperson. In fact, he was salesperson of the year for Condé Nast. This man, also known as the Pitch Whisperer, knows how to sell. And you know why? That's because he understands that it's not about talking about what you have to offer. It's about truly understanding the other person and the struggles they're going through and what you have to offer will help them. 
John tells us that you have to understand the other person. You have to have empathy and understand what they are going through so that you can better understand the way you can serve them. And the way you convey that to them is not by throwing out data and stats and talking about yourself and all you have to offer, but like the title of his book, you should seek to do better selling through storytelling. Stories, if you listen to this show, you know how powerful they can be. And John does such a great job of explaining it in analogies and metaphors that we can all relate to and grasp a hold of. He explains how to sell yourself without conveying that kind of icky feeling within yourself or or you know, within the other person that you're actually selling to. Nobody likes to be sold to, but we all love to hear a good story. But because we all have something to sell, now that we've established that fact, you got to figure out a way to be authentic and do it organically without seeming like the used car salesman. Because that's that's the, the image that comes to a lot of our minds, and that's why it tends to be a dirty word. John has so many different examples, so many different stories that he, he drops in this, this episode. You are going to benefit so much, and it's perfect. It, it's perfect because in this episode, he talks about turning your case studies into case stories, so times where you've helped other people in the past, how to make a story out of that to sell to the next person, and he does a perfect job of doing that himself. So I reached out to John a while back. I've been following his work for, for a, a long time and really look up to the, to the work that he does in the space. He's such, such a sweet guy. We made a great relationship pretty quickly, and now we have a, a, a fun little um, relationship on social media back and forth supporting each other's keynotes and projects that we're doing. And uh, I, I really enjoyed my time with him and I think that you will too. So please enjoy and I hope you guys love the wise words of John Livesey. Well, I appreciate your time, first of all. Uh, I know we've been kind of chatting back and forth on Instagram and email over the past few weeks. Um, and when you first responded, when I reached out, you, you, you told me that my mission story that's kind of in my email signature struck a, a nerve with you because you were a swimmer um, when you were growing up. And I'm a little interested in kind of first learning your history. Like, where are you from and what type of what type of kid were you when you were growing up? <laughs> what type of kid was I? Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. OK. And I was the kind of kid that was into every activity at school. Yeah, so I played same. the French horn in the band. I was in the marching band. I was in the school musicals. I was on the swim team. I was a lifeguard. Um, and all of that was um, a big part of my life. So um, it was always, if I wasn't working out and training for the swim team or lifeguarding in the summer, then I was, um, you know, rehearsing for a, a concert or a music or musical. So hmm. um, it was always about self-expression, I guess, is what all yeah. those things have in common. And I like that already, and, and I already see a clear parallel because I was also involved in a lot of different things. I was in choir. I was, I was in the musicals. I mm-hmm. played a lot of sports. I thought I was going to be an athlete at one point. Um, Boy Scouts, all these different extracurricular yeah. activities. My mom threw me into everything. And this kind of leads me into to my next question or my first real question about the path you then took. But it's interesting to me. So if if you were that type of person in, in all these different interests and, and mm-hmm. activities, then I'm assuming that 
you you had if if you didn't have it innately you you cultivated the skill of being able to connect with different types of people do you think that's true oh yes because you know there's you know especially it's high school are you, are you a jock right are you right. a musical theater person are you this are you that and i was only good in swimming okay. i was not good at basketball football baseball or any of that stuff and so when I got my varsity letter and would wear it down the hall in the sweater <laughs> on Fridays, I actually felt like an imposter. Oh, I got you. You know, because there's no, quote, professional swimming. Right. And, you know, the people that would come to a swim meet is not nearly the people that come to the right. high school football game. And the irony was I was playing in the band in the high school. I was the halftime <laughs> entertainment. So, you know, it was this definitely weird sense of, who, wh what's my tribe? But, you know, in terms of, I definitely felt like I fit in because I started swimming competitively when I was 10. Mm, so wow. I'd known all these guys by the time we were on the high school swim team for years. Mm -hmm. So we grew up with them. So it wasn't like, ooh, do I fit in here? I was like, we, we, we you know, I was in competitive AAU meets and traveling all over the state um, competing at a very young age. And my parents used to measure out, you know, here's all the events you've done. And here's a grid of all your times and the dates mm. to the thousands of a second. Wow. You know, when you touch that touchpad. So for me, I was very much aware of trophies, medals, what caused Same. you to win, what, you know, did you, you know, and, you know, tr you're just trying to beat your own time. And um, gosh, some of the life lessons um, that I got from swimming have, you know, parlayed into my whole career. Uh, it's a big part of my TEDx talk, as you know. Right. Um, about the story of saving a young girl and the lessons I learned from that and how that not to panic and stay calm um, under pressure uh, from the training has been a characteristic that's it's held me all through my life. And, um, and then ad sales, you know, I got to meet Michael Phelps when I was working with Speedo. And, you know, what a thrill to mm -hmm. get to talk to him about what made him so successful. Exactly. And I'm happy to sh share that with you if you'd like. But that's just a sort of the tip of the iceberg of, the impact that uh, swimming had on me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, so for me, I was an athlete and an artist and, and kind of like you, I didn't, I didn't know. I struggled to let those identities overlap or intersect. And I always mm -hmm. kept them compartmentalized and it, and it, it made me, I struggled with that until, until, until my early thirties of figuring out like, well, who, who am I? Which one of these am I? What am I trying to pursue? Mm -hmm. Because even the films that I was making, was in the health and fitness, health and wellness space. And so I'm like, yes. but I keep coming back to this. I would train people on the side as just a side job a couple hours a week. So I never let that go. And it took a long time for me to understand that that was actually a unique intersection and mm -hmm. kind of like lean into that in terms of a, a niche or, or just a, a path that I wanted to follow. But being involved in all those different activities I was able to vibe with and communicate with and, and, and hang out with all different types of people since I was, since I was younger. And so my question is, I want to know what got you into, cause you told me in the email, like you, you there was no professional swimming. And so you right. ended, up, ended up in advertising. And I wonder if that ability to connect with different people also helped mm -hmm. you when you went into something like advertising. Cause when you sell certain people, you have to sell them and meet yes. them where they are. Right. Exactly. Well, I also think it helps me as a speaker. Mm, totally. You know, I really customize my talks to audiences. And I remember speaking to Anthem Insurance and then coming off the stage and people wanting to talk to me or sign, have me sign a book. And I go, how long have you been in healthcare? 
Right, right, and right. I, you know, I just learned some acronyms and studied your <laughs> industry. Um, so this ability to have empathy is really the Boom. secret, I think. And so the more I can understand what someone's issues are, regardless of what it is, they're in, what industry they're in, whether it's tech or healthcare, or sometimes it's healthcare and tech combined, right. uh, which is also a whole other niche, or architects, or executive recruiters, or lawyers, really realizing what their life is like and what their particular struggles are um, certainly came from, and advertising, as you said, is all about, well, what's the demographic mm -hmm. of this ideal buyer, and then what's the psychographics? And that's what's really more interesting to me is the psychographics. Mm. What motivates this person? What other, you know, uh, where do they get their news? What kind of car do they drive? Right. You know, all those things that make up a lifestyle to try and get a sense of um, what makes that person tick. And that's why I went into advertising as a major is uh, I was completely fascinated by what motivated people to take action and become loyal to something. At what point in your advertising career did storytelling emerge as like the thing or when did you start noticing like i have a little more success when when i approach it this way versus mm. you know backed by data or, or yes. stats like we, we were talking about when did that really start to say huh. well one of my jobs uh was working for a small ad agency creating commercials for movies coming out on video back in the okay. day before for DVD. Yes. So um, you weren't in school yet. You weren't born. Uh, when <laughs> Blockbuster was on the streets of every corner. And uh, I realized that a movie may not do th well theatrically, but we could reposition the movie with mm. a different commercial and get people to want to rent it and then eventually buy it. Uh, it. So that was my real deep dive into, oh, this is the same story. It's a two-hour movie. Right. But how you edit it and what music you put and... Uh, you know, is it a comedy? Is it fast paced? Or are you making it seem like a drama? Or how do you reposition something that didn't work? That really taught me my storytelling skills. And then when I was in the advertising world, and let's say Lexus would send out a proposal to several different brands. And I realized, you know, everyone's coming in and saying the same thing about numbers. Mm -hmm. We reach this many people and blah, blah, we have influencers. And, but nobody was talking about a story of a particular reader that would fit the particular buyer of this particular model that they were launching and fit the psychographic. So I, I thought, oh, I've got to come up with a story, not only of who's reading this and why, or going to this website, but also a story of an event that mm. we create to support the advertising, because that became the carrot versus the you know cart. It was really... Uh -huh. We have lots of choices to reach this particular of affluent market, for example, but we're looking for a really integrated idea that makes your brand and our brand coexist. You know, for example, Sports Illustrated um, created a racetrack in sync with their swimsuit model. You know, so that's really integrated into the brand. And so, what are you going to do um, that uh, integrates your brand and our brand into an event? Mm -hmm. And um, one of those um, actually resulted in me winning Salesperson of the Year at Condé Nast after getting laid off. So I can certainly talk about that story if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hear that. Well, I think if we back up the story, um, I'd been at Condé Nast for 15 years back in 2008. The economy was tanking mm -hmm. and luxury advertising went down with it. And so they laid off all the people outside of New York and I was in LA and 30% of the New York staff. And 
they wanted everybody out in 24 hours. Hmm. And I said, well, don't you want a status report of where things should run and what page and what issue? Well, that'd be great, but everyone else is so mad they're leaving. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that to the clients. Right. Let them get married, have kids. So that one decision, little did I know, Rain, that that would really come back and help me two years later. So then I had to reinvent myself and learn how to sell digital ads and not just mm -hmm. print. And then they reached out and hired me back two years later because I'd left on such a good note. Hmm. It's such a good lesson too, because you weren't, you understand why people would be concerned about themselves. They just lost their job. That's a, that's a terrible moment for a person. Mm -hmm. But even in that, in that moment, you still strove to find that empathy and think about the other people that would be affected by that move other than you. And that was my lifeguard training. Yeah. Don't panic. Stay calm. That's huge. And, and you're you, not and, dying. And at the point, you were just looking out for the people that you had worked for. You didn't have any idea that this would come back to, to no. help you in the future. But that's kind of the point of like not burning bridges, right? It's, it's yeah. just then you still have those connections available, even if they're not, even if you're not crossing that bridge this year mm -hmm. or next year. At some point, that might be another opportunity for you to, to bridge a gap somewhere. Yes. And so when they offered me to come back, I thought, I'm not coming back with one day of fear. Because mm. I'd always had a little fear of not making my numbers and getting fired, the magazine going out of business, whatever. Um, or a new boss coming in and bringing their person. You know, there's lots of things to be afraid of totally. if you want to look for it. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I've already been laid off and survived yeah, yeah. and thrived. <laughs> so if I'm coming back, I'm not going to have any fear. And that really freed me up to come up with these creative ideas and solutions. So uh, one of them was to get guest jeans to come back into the magazine because they had left when I left um, and actually went with me to my other job at the Daily Beast and advertised with me digitally. So that I'd kept that communication line open. And I said to them, you know, I started these conversations with what if, which as a filmmaker, mm. I'm sure you love that because you tap into people's right brain imagination. Absolutely. And I said, you know, I've noticed that it's your 30th anniversary and W Magazine's 40th anniversary. What if we did a joint celebration? And they went, huh, <laughs> how would that work? I said, well, well first of all, we get more press for both brands than just yes. doing it alone. And, you know, Drew Barrymore has been on the cover of W, and she's also been a guest model. And we could have Perfect. photos of those images together in an event, invite celebrities and get all kinds of press and buzz around it. And they love the idea so much. They created an exclusive 30-page supplement. Every page was a different model from that year, for the 30 years, inserted into the 40th anniversary of W's anniversary issue. Mm -hmm. And so at a time when print was going down and I got this exclusive uh, spend and publicity around it, um, that's what allowed me to go from being laid off two years previous to winning salesperson of the year, not just for my title, but for the entire company of 400 salespeople. So that's the power of storytelling. And that's what put me on this journey is to help as many people as possible get off the self-esteem roller coaster of only feeling good if your numbers are up and bad if your numbers are down. Because mm -hmm. I was on it and it's exhausting and it is. you burn out really fast. So and, and you don't have control over everything that may make it up or down at the moment. But that's I've been on that roller coaster too and it's terrible. It's terrible when your 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 self-esteem is measured only in your productivity because I try to now as I get older to look at things in terms of how we're trending in the long term. You know, yeah. it's like the stock market. I mean, some some years are going to be down, but the goal is for 10 years mm -hmm. to, to trend up. It may be a roller coaster ride that whole time, yes. you know. Um, so when I think about 
people who are pitching something, which is what you help people understand how to, how to use storytelling to do better. And we've talked about whether you're trying to sell your film. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you help people who are pitching their products or trying to raise money. If they're a startup, that's a common one. And the people that I deal with a lot in this situation, because um, I lead workshops and the, there'll be marketers, communication directors in the audience. And a lot of times what their struggles are or their obstacles are the people who approve the communication strategies and tactics they want to do. So if they see the value, the, the comms directors or the marketers in, hey, we want to do a video series about our members or, or whatever, mm-hmm. they got to go convince somebody to to ante up and, and pay for it. And a lot mm-hmm. of times the, the C-level folks may not see the immediate value or ROI on that. So my question is, when people are pitching, what we've already kind of talked about how, how they lean on stats and data a little too much. Like we have all this and we have X amount of employees, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What are other major things that people get wrong in that, in that pitch that you see time and time again of people missteps and mistakes that they make in their pitching? Well, the big one is thinking that people buy from emotion with information. And, you know, the old way of doing this is to say, well, if, if you get to know me and my company because I give you tons of information and send you brochures and talk to you about information, then after you know me, you might start to like me and then eventually trust me. Mm-hmm. And I think the order is completely wrong. I mean, we hear, heard it for decades, right? Definitely. Oh, you got to get people to know, like, and trust you. Yes. Like, no. In my humble opinion, you need to start at the bottom. You need to get people to trust you first. Mm. It's a gut thing. It's a fight or flight. In fact, the handshake came about to show you didn't have a weapon in your hand. Mm. So once people trust you through warm introductions, social proof, eye contact, then they go, okay, this is safe to at least listen. I'm not going to get hurt. Um, I trust this person to do what they say they're going to do. Then it moves up to the heart, which is the likability factor. And the better you can explain the problem they have, the better they think you have their solution. So the empathy really comes into play. Totally. That's how. You... And then from the gut to the heart, it moves to the head. And people are saying to themselves, well, will this work for me? You're telling me all these other people you've helped, but if I can't see myself in the story, I'm not going to say yes. Mm. So the biggest mistake is people buy emotionally, not logically, and everyone starts with the logic. I promise you, if you go buy a sports car, Ferrari, whatever, they don't say this gets you know rain x number of miles per gallon. Right, right. You know they're going to say you're going to feel sexy, you're going to feel excited. This is so much fun to drive, and then oh by the way, here's the logic to back it up. I, I'm in that situation. I'm about to buy a new uh, a new truck, uh, a new Forerunner, and I'm already excited about the sto- you know that emotional aspect of it. Like, yeah, I've been driving a car that I haven't been happy with the past couple of years, and yes, I'm looking at the specs when I make my decision, but when I'm you know, lying in bed at night going to sleep, like I'm not dreaming of the miles per gallon or no. or the you know, the type of tires I'm I'm dreaming of how it's gonna fit into my story and the thing that how it's gonna help my life, how I'm gonna feel driving that for you know, yes. having driven something that I'm not pleased with for the past past two years. So I, I totally understand that. That's a great way to put mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about, I, I want to establish, because I did, I read the book. I love the book, by the way. Thank you. Um, and as I promised you, definitely the Amazon review is, uh, is, is forthcoming. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about a little bit, because I know the, the ladder to, to Irresistible is a big part yes. of, of your brand. And so I, I know that my, my listeners would benefit from that. And uh, I'm, can we can we tell people what that ladder is? Because often people sure. don't understand 
how to take it from step to step to reach yes. the point. They think that's either it's binary. It's either people mm, listen to me or they don't. Right. No. Right. Well, again, most salespeople put their prospects into categories. You're a prospect, 90% mm. chance you're going to buy B 50% C 10 or less, but nobody thinks of themselves as a percentage. Mm. So I created this ladder of how to go from invisible to irresistible. And there's different rungs we'll go over. This is how clients see you as opposed to you only thinking about how do I see them? Got it. Got it. So are you invisible to them? They've never heard of you or your company or your product. And that's like in the dating world too, right? You go into a party, you've never mm. had this happen to you, but I've seen people and I get attracted to them and I they don't even know I'm in the room, right? You <laughs> happily married now and you know, you know, your whole world is rocking. So you're just like, I'm not invisible to anybody. Yeah. But, uh, and then you move up to uh, insignificant. Hmm. And in the dating world, I don't know what's worse, Rain. Right. Know, I see. I'm, right. Them knowing you're there but not caring <laughs> or yeah. just not knowing you're there. So let's say you're selling insurance or life insurance or something. Like, well, that's insignificant to me. I'm not in the market for that. Mm, right? yes. And then you get up to the interesting rung. And this is like in the dating world, maybe they're like, oh, maybe I wrote you off too fast. I'm interested to hear more. Maybe you said something funny. I'm not going out with you yet. Mm-hmm. And in the business world, it can feel like you're at the friend zone at work. Mm. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, we all know what that feels like, right? We're not making any traction. Oh, I'm interested in what you're saying. Keep sending me stuff. I'm not Ugh. moving up, right? You're just stuck there. Right. And then you get up to intriguing. Hmm. And in the dating world, they're like, oh, well, what would it look like if I went out with you? Well, the town car picks us up. We watch the sunset. You know, you paint that picture. Yeah. That story. And in business, you know, you send a proposal, like the description I gave of the guest. What if? You know, I intrigued them enough to start imagining a joint celebration, tying the two, Drew Barrymore as the conduit, as an example. Right, right. And we're intrigued to know more how would that work. And then you get up to the irresistible level. And in dating, you know, they can't stop thinking about you. They're always texting you all day long. And um, uh, in business, of course, those are your brand ambassadors. These people love you. They give you the testimonials. But we have to make sure that we're taking care of those people. And not taking them for granted, just like in any relationship. And, you know, I saw one of your posts about your wife. You said, the smartest decision I ever made, correct? (laughs) Yeah, correct. I mean, what a wonderful statement. Now, imagine if your clients felt that way about you. Mm. They hired you. Best decision I ever made. Best speaker I ever hired. That's irresistible level. Totally. And I think that I I suppose that it's, it's, it's also equally important that that you understand what level you're on to that client at the moment for the decisions you make. So yes. it's okay if you're insignificant at the moment or, or what's the middle rung again? Uh, interesting. interesting, right? It's yeah. okay if you're there. Obviously we all want to get to irresistible, mm-hmm. but going back to that issue where people think it's either one or the other, either it's a yes or a no, knowing where you fall on that ladder has got to be helpful to know your next step. Okay. Well now I want to get them from in, 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 insignificant to interesting or from interesting exactly. to intriguing, what are the steps I need to take to achieve that? Storytelling. It gets you up each rung. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, I doubt that you ask your uh, wife to marry you on the first coffee date. And yet a lot of people in sales jump right, right in. Right. Hey, you want to marry? You want to get married? Want to buy my stuff? Here's the contract. Wow. You're like, whoa, whoa, that's, whoa. That's, and that's the spam that we all tune out so much. People are like, yeah. here, buy my, buy my course when it's the first email they've sent you. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it for sure. <laughs> so another thing 
now that we've gotten to this point of being irresistible, and ideally if you're at that point, it should almost close itself. But I find that this last step of closing is still difficult for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And as I told you, uh, I sent you a message earlier this week. Um, I just I just closed my first um, internal workshop at a corporation. I do workshops at conferences frequently, right. but because of one of those that I did uh, not too long ago, I ha- had a deeper conversation with someone who attended, and she was like, I, I think I want you to come to our company. It's an electric company in, in North Carolina. Um, and I, I, total, I totally took a, a page out of the John Levesay book and, and said, I painted the picture. I told the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, is, is that, does that sound like a journey you would like to go on with me? Which, thank you, sir. I had to borrow that You're one from, welcome. from you. That's but, what it's for. But yeah, but t- tell me a little bit more about that for those listening. How do you get them to that point and how do you seal the deal? Well, Rain, the best part of storytelling is it, you become magnetic mm. and you pull people in with a good story. Right. The old way of selling is to just to push out a bunch of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I exhausting like, to you and nobody likes to be and pushed. I like that concept of pulling them in versus pushing them. Mm-hmm. Right. And the closing happens the entire process. Mm. It's not like you're one person at the beginning developing rapport. It's like landing a plane, right? You know when you get on a plane from L.A. to New York where you're going. And when you're landing and they say, you know, we're now landing in New York, not one person ever stands up and goes, what? We're landing? I thought we were just going to fly around forever. Mm-hmm. And yet in business, if we could have endless conversations. No, 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 no. We're landing this plane. We're co-pilots. And we have an agreement of if all these things fall into place, you have a need. Here's your time frame. You have a budget. You know, it's not a surprise that we're landing the plane, mm-hmm. just like it isn't a surprise when you are on a plane. Uh, so one of the best things to do is to turn a case study into a case story. Please. Yeah. This is where I wanted to go with this too. So perfect. And and when you do that and people see themselves in that story of someone you've helped that was just like them. And by the way, here's the secret to this rain is you're not the hero of the story. Mm. The other client is you're the Sherpa, you're Yoda and star Wars, (laughs) right? You're the person. The guide. Yeah. Yes. So the client has to see themselves oh, you helped another electric company or somebody else that had the same challenges mm-hmm. I did, and you got them from struggling to soaring, from confused to clarity, from boring to inspiring. You take them on this journey in that case story of, oh, and now what's their life like after working mm-hmm. with you? Oh, sales are up, you know, da, da, da. All, you know, they, don't, they sleep better, they have their ideal clients, you know, the, all those things. Oh, so that when that closing line comes, after you've told the case story, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on with me? It's pulling them in. It's not, you know, Maslow said, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you tend to go around looking for nails to hit. Love it. So salespeople without stories are just have hammers. Mm. Salespeople with stories have a magnet to pull people in. Mm. Here's a, here's a journey. Here's what I do. If this sounds like, you know, if you see yourself in the story, that's the magic part of, will this work for me? I can see myself in that story. Yes, please. You see, and what I like about this, and I want, I want to get your opinion on this. So often people in, in, in this storytelling space talk about, you need to learn how to tell your brand story. They talk about it as if it's singular. Like there's mm-hmm. one story that we have, the story of our brands, right? What mm-hmm. I love about you and, and, and your work 
And this is what I I try to do as well. Is like you know, there's there's countless stories that you have to tell, countless kinds of stories that you have to tell, mm-hmm. countless opportunities you have to tell stories. So, can can you talk a little bit about about that? Because when we're talking about these case studies, hopefully you have several of them to tell, and a different one for a different type of potential yes. client. But I see that so often where people think, okay, we just have to tell our brand story, and then our journey in storytelling is done. Do you think that's true or do we have opportunities everywhere to tell stories and be effective with them? Well, there's, you know, once you learn the four elements of a good story, you can tell all kinds of good stories. What Uh, what are those elements? um, Exposition. You paint the picture. Who, what, where, when. Yes. Uh, You describe the problem. And as I said, the better you describe the problem, the better they think you have your solution. The solution and then the resolution. What's life like after Mm, the change so, that happens. Yes. I can give a quick example. Please. I was working with a client, Martin, on his confidence. And I said, you know, I want you to stack your moments of certainty and write down two or three times you knew you nailed it in your life mm. and what that felt like. And so he came back to me and he said, well, you know, the one that really stands out is, you know, my own story that I was born in South uh, America, but I grew up in the Netherlands. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's a rite of passage into manhood. Wow. I said, woo, that's a story. Yeah. It gave me chills. All right, let's work on that. What lessons did you learn? Well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, okay. And you're going to take those life lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he told that story in front of an investor, they invested in his startup because they figured this guy will figure out any problems if he survived the Amazon jungle. Hmm. So the four elements of what make that a good story, you know exactly where Martin is, how old he is. Mm -hmm. And I said, Martin, if you don't say that's a rite of passage in in your culture, it sounds like child abuse. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So paint that picture and then describe the problem. Clearly, you're naked there for two weeks. The solution were the three life lessons he learned. Mm -hmm. And then the resolution is he got his startup funded because of having that story. And a lot of people would think or see that, not see that there's a direct connection between those two things, right? Like, okay, this yeah. is about you uh, uh, surviving in, in the jungle, and this is about you selling your 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 startup. Like, a lot of people would miss that opportunity to see how we can connect right. you know, th- those different. And that's why it's up to us as storytellers to make that connection for them. And you can notice yeah. my phrasing there. He took the lessons from the Amazon jungle and took it to the concrete jungle. Love it. And people go, oh, I know. <laughs> and when we put things together, that we that's really when the story sticks. Love it, love it. <coughs> so um, I want to know a little bit about it, and we're, we're kind of nearing the, the, the end of our time here. Mm-hmm. I want to know a little bit about the book, first of all, and who, because now I know how tough of a task that is, and I know this isn't your first one, but who the audience was for that, who you were seeking to serve when, when you decided to write Better Selling through storytelling? Well, I believe everyone has to sell all the time, even if it's not their job title. Love it. And more and more people are being asked to sell. As I mentioned, lawyers, architects, they all have to go up against their ideal clients hmm. against final two competitors. So the ideal audience for this is anyone who's ever had to sell themselves and not think of themselves as necessarily salespeople, but they do great. But even to get a job, it's usually between you and two other candidates. Correct. Yeah. Um, lawyers call it a beauty contest. Architects <laughs> call it an interview. 
Um, but the, and inevitably, you fill out a proposal, and they're like, okay, it's in the final three. We're going to let each of the final three come in for an hour and give us why we should pick you over somebody else. And if nobody's telling a story, then they go, oh, well, we hope we can go last because whoever goes last is memorable. I'm like, you can't control that. That's a huge problem if you're counting on that. Yeah. The only thing you're saying that's memorable is you went last, whether that's, it's a job interview or yeah, an interview to get hired. So that's really where people have really resonated with this of, oh, we do this all the time. Ad agencies, PR agencies, as I, there's so many industries, real estate people, mm -hmm. you know, it's between them and two other agents who get the listing, you know, tech people, we're looking at three finalists, people typically get three bids. So um, anybody who's in that situation in any way, shape or form, the, whoever tells the best story is going to get the sale, get Love the yes. It. Love it. Um, so tell, tell us what you're working on. What are you excited about coming up in 2020? I know that you have a, a new course in the works, but what else? Is yes, I have on? an online course based on the same title, Better Selling Through Storytelling. I'm going to be speaking in April at the uh, National Association of Broadcasters and um, in Vegas. I'm helping people who create content sell that content, basically. Yeah. that they, they write stories for movies and TV shows, but then they have to pitch it to get it made into a pilot or made into a movie. And um, there's an, another medical company that's creating um, salespeople. They're going to be having a, me come and teach them. They realized they were only talking about what they do and not why they do it. Mm. So that emotional connection, whether it's tech and tech or healthcare in this case, really comes to life. And that's going to be at the new Caesars uh, Palace Convention Center that's just opening this year. They've spent $300 million to build this new space. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that's like. I think the medical community and healthcare community is a, is a major place where people, all people involved could benefit from storytelling. I think that's a place where there's a lot of gaps that, that need to be bridged. Mm -hmm. um, I have some friends that have, have reached out to me, whether, um, whether it's you know, the, the, the things that doctors and, and nurses go through themselves they're unable to to share their stories a lot of times, and so mm. there's a lack of empathy sometimes because uh, people on all sides of the of the equation are are suffering. Mm. So I think share, sharing stories and teaching people how to to do, to become storytellers in that in that world could be really helpful. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's it's fun to realize that if you're a patient, you're on a journey. Totally. And sometimes the products and the surgeons and the nurses and all the hospitals and all those people, insurance companies are all part of that journey. And when you paint that picture of the journey of the patients going on and, and where you fit into that journey is helping somebody um, and what their life is like after they get well, mm. it can really be, I say that when you tug at people's heartstrings, they open their purse strings. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that that's um, one of the most successful projects I've done for a client recently was a rare cancer foundation. And We've done a lot of video work for them that was very informative, and, th and that helped the patients. Mm -hmm. But in 2018, we did a 12-part series. Each, each month, we released a short documentary about, about a patient, heartfelt mm -hmm. human stories about how they psychologically or emotionally navigated this disease. Mm. And the results from that campaign were, were huge because it connected with so many different people mm. just because these, these were sweet, poignant stories that even if you yes. weren't familiar with the disease, you, you, you watched okay. the story. Yeah. Then we had you know the effect we wanted to because now there's a new person, new people educated about this rare disease because mm -hmm. we told a great story. So uh, I definitely understand the need to 
to pull at the heartstrings. And I think mm-hmm. people are finally starting to understand that. There's we still got a long way to go, but hopefully, uh, if people like you can continue teaching people, will under, will understand how important that is. That empathy is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it works. Yeah, it does. It does. So before I let you go, I'd, I want to hear the Michael Phelps story. I think that's so cool that <laughs> that 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 you were a swimmer and then later in life, it almost comes full circle that you have this opportunity in your new world, your new your new yeah. role to to meet some, you know, someone like that who's a hero in the swimming community, obviously. Yes. Well, I was calling on Speedo. I was, you know, selling ads for a high fashion magazine and mm-hmm. they were coming out with a line of sportswear. And they were planning to advertise it in a fitness magazine. Mm-hmm. And then I said, but what if we treated your sportswear like it was high fashion and had a fashion show around a swimming pool at a hotel and you could invite Michael Phelps since he's on your payroll as a spokesperson and we get all kinds of publicity. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, okay. So I got some advertising and got to meet Michael Phelps. And I went up to him and I said, you know, everyone says you're so successful because your physique, your lung capacity, your feet are like flippers. But I'm guessing there's something else. And he said, oh, yes, John. Years ago, my coach said to me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? Yes, coach. Great. We just got 52 more workouts a year than Mm -hmm. anyone else. And then I tell people, all right, what are you willing to do or thinking about doing that your competition isn't willing to do or hasn't thought of to do yet Mm -hmm. that can take part and make you the Olympic champion in your industry? I love it. And I think that's perfect because for those of us listening or going through this and trying to get to that top rung of being irresistible, Mm -hmm. often we think that we have to immediately become Michael Phelps or if we don't, it's a failure. Mm-hmm. Or we're so fearful of, or scared of how what it would take to become a Michael Phelps that we overlook that really. Or a Ray Bennett, yeah, hey, yeah exactly. Yes. See, it's really scary and intimidating. But 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 what it takes is 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 way simpler than than we think. It's just getting the workouts in, just getting the reps in. So for for the people listening, if you if you are trying to become better at this, better at connecting with people through stories. It just takes that practice. You just got to show up on Sundays and continue to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the way you get to Michael Phelps status and become irresistible, in my opinion, is just getting the reps in. So, mm-hmm. um, John, I appreciate your time. What, you, you oh, yeah. I have a free lesson for a uh, free gift for all the listeners. Oh, my goodness. Let's go. If you text the word pitch, P I T C H, to 66866, I send you a free sneak peek of better selling through storytelling. That is a that's, that's quite a kind gift, and I can vouch for the book. Uh, it took me just a, a weekend to go through it. I, I had it on my iPad and just blazed through it. It was really, really good. <laughs> what I love so much, and this is what I'm trying to do with mine, is is the personal stories. Obviously, you're a storyteller, so you get this. You're giving mm-hmm. us tons of information about how to get to Irresistible, but the fact that you kept coming back to these stories that you laid the groundwork of, whether it's your lifeguard story or how you connected um, guests and, and the W and W. Um, I love that personal touch so much. I just wanted to say that, that to you. It made, it made it an enjoyable read where I felt like I was learning about you just as much as oh, the art and science of storytelling. I think that was crucial. So thanks so much. Um, everybody, I think it would be wise for you to, to, 
download those first. Is, is it three chapters or how long is the, the, the um, it's a sneak peek of some of the sneak highlights peek. of the book to see yeah. if you want to get the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And then I think, uh, it'd be pretty obvious that you should go, uh, purchase it after that. So, mm -hmm. uh, John, thanks for your time. It was a pleasure. And just thanks for the kindness that you've extended ever since I reached out. I really, it means a lot to me. Oh, my pleasure, Rain. Thanks for having me on your great show. All right. Have a great day. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.